0: Lord, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I know all about that. I know all about that. I looked up from my book yesterday. I was sitting in the waiting room of my dermatologist's office. A man sitting next to me said, I know all about that. And so I looked up from my book and I looked at him and he had bandages scattered across his face and on his neck going down behind his shirt. He said, I know all about that. And I could tell that he was looking at the cover of my book. The book I was reading, it was titled, When God is Silent, by Barbara Brown Taylor. Now, I was trying to mind my own business. I wasn't dressed like a pastor. I wasn't wearing all black. I wanted to be incognito. I wanted to be like everybody else. I just wanted to go get my skin examined at the dermatologist. I am, as she told me yesterday, blessed with blue eyes and pale skin and a couple too many moles. And I just wanted to get checked out, make sure everything's okay. Okay. But I didn't want to be seen as a pastor, so I dressed normal. But what I didn't think about was the book that I brought with me. Because that singled me out. He said, I know all about that. I said, what do you mean? He said, I know all about God being silent. And I know well enough to know that it's better to be quiet and listen instead of just speaking. So I just kept looking at him and I waited for him to continue. And he did. I learned all about him. For 15 minutes, he talked to me in the waiting room yesterday. I learned about his life, his family, I learned about his struggles. I learned about his skin cancer that just keeps coming back again and again and again. About how many times he's pleaded with God to just give him a sign just say anything at all. He kept talking and talking and talking until they called his name. And he stood up from the waiting room and he went behind the door to go see his doctor. And I realized that I never said a word. I never said a single word. Now, I hear about this stuff a lot considering what I do for a vocation. I hear about God's silence, about the absence of God from one's life. I hear about suffering and loneliness and fear and in particular, the silence of death. People don't call me when things go well. Hey, Pastor Taylor, I got a raise at work today. Hey, Pastor Taylor, we're getting engaged. Hey, Pastor Taylor, my, my child walked for the first time. No, oh, those aren't the phone calls I get. I get the, my mom just died. I just lost a job. I don't know how we're going to pay for a rent this month. People want to know what to do when things go bad. People want to know what to do when it feels like God is silent. They want to know what happens to people after they die. They want reassurance that even though they hear nothing in the moment, that God is still somewhere speaking. In other words, people want to hear about life without having to think about death. Now, they, whoever they are, they're actually us. We do this all the time. We do it consciously, we do it unconsciously, whether we're lying awake at night, staring at the ceiling, trying to will ourselves and not think about what's going to happen in the end, or whether we're watching yet another commercial, desperately attempting to convince us that we're not going to die when the end comes. I can remember sitting with a family planning for a funeral. Their father had died. And I was sitting there talking and the son looked at me and he said, you know, we just really want this to be a celebration of my dad's life said sure that's fine of course what else are we going to do we'll celebrate his life celebrate his promised resurrection and i wanted to move on to talk about hymns and scriptures and all that stuff and then one of the other siblings chimed in he said in fact we would prefer it really if you didn't mention how he died at all or even that he's really dead frankly if you could do it we would really like it if you could talk about him as if he were still in the room with us as if he isn't dead How can we have a funeral without someone who's dead? There is a time to live and a time to die, as Ecclesiastes reminds us, but for a lot of us, we prefer to have the first bit without the last bit. And I wonder if the reason we feel so afraid of death, the reason we pretend that the dead aren't dead, is because the silence of death can be really overwhelming. We go from having someone we can converse with And then suddenly, that conversation is cut off forever. We don't know what to do with something we can't control. And we fear the things we can't control. We're afraid of death. We used to fear God. I've been gathering together and preaching with Christians on Ash Wednesday for the better part of a decade. And I find it to be one of the most incredible and bewildering things we do. Ash Wednesday, it's hyper-focused on our identity as sinners in the hands of God. And it is a time when we are actually encouraged to do some navel-gazing. every other day of the church year feels really, really different. You know, the church is the only institution that exists for the sake of outsiders. That's true. Just about every Sunday of the year, we're focused on the people who are not in the, wall, uh, in the walls of the church. But today, it's really, really di- different. Today, it's just about us. It's not about other people out there. It's about you and God and me. Ash Wednesday is about how we know we're going to die. Ash Wednesday is about knowing that God is going to make something out of the nothing of our deaths. About how God will still speak even when the end comes for us. That's not easy. That's not an easy thing to handle. It's why fewer and fewer people come to things like Ash Wednesday services, whether it's at 7 in the morning or 7 in the evening. We don't want to look at sin and death any more than we have to. Otherwise, we run the risk of perpetual self-deception, in which our ears become so stopped up that we can't hear the voice of the Lord that is still speaking. Like the psalmist, on Ash Wednesday, we come before the throne and we confess that God has a pretty good case against us. And we throw ourselves upon the mercy of our Lord. As Christians, this is at the heart of who we are and whose we are. We cannot ignore the condition of our condition. We cannot fool ourselves into believing that we're better than anyone else. We are sinners in the hands of a loving God. Now that we can call God a loving God is what makes all the difference in the world. For it is in the same moment that we can acknowledge our brokenness when we can finally and freely admit we are not as good as we think we are. We also start to see that God is the one who offers us mercy, even though we don't deserve it. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not before we were sinners, not after we were sinners, but in the midst of our sin, in the midst of the worst thing you've ever done in your life, that's when Jesus chooses to die for you. And even the psalmist gets it Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your love. According to your mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me, cleanse me. Because my sin is always right in front of me. That is the prayer of someone who knows there is hope in spite of feeling hopeless. It's the prayer of someone who knows that God's compassion far exceeds our own. It's the prayer of someone who knows that grace is always greater than our sin, always. And so I waited my turn yesterday. I was at the dermatologist's office, and all I could think about, all I could run through my mind was, what if I had said something? What should I have said? How could I have offered him comfort? How could I have been there for this man? I started to think about all the scriptures I should have quoted. I even pulled out my phone and got my Bible app out and started going through scriptures to try to find something I could have said to him. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and he was done with his appointment. He had walked back into the waiting room. And instead of just walking right past me to go to the door to leave, he came and he sat back down right in the spot he had been in before. And he looked at me and he said, hey, thanks for listening. I feel a lot better. And he offered me his hand and he shook it and he left. And I realized again, for the second time, I didn't say a word. And that was a good reminder for me. His gratitude for my silent listening was a reminder to me that whenever it might feel like God is silent, maybe it's because God is actually listening, that rather than interrupting and knocking us down a peg or two, something we all probably deserve, God is content to listen to whatever it is we might hurl at God. God can handle all of our anger God can handle all of our frustration. God can handle all of our fear. God can even handle each and every one of our sins because God is God and we are not. In a few moments, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray over the ashes. And when we pray, we're going to reflect on the overwhelming love of God. But while we think about God's love, we're also going to confess how we're not really that loving. We're going to remember Jesus' willingness to come and to take away our sins, to nail each and every one of our sins to the cross. And we're also going to confess our sins for which Jesus had to come. We're going to acknowledge the unconditional love of God, and we're also going to confess the conditions we place on love all the time. And it will be while we're doing that, lifting up these things to the Lord, these seemingly contradictory things, how good God is versus how bad we are, that it will become worship. God has done something remarkable for us. We, unlike the rest of the world, don't have to lie to ourselves. We don't have to compete with these unattainable moral expectations. We don't have to pretend we're something we're not. We're Christians. We can be exactly who we are. We can be fully the sinners we are because God will not give up on us. God will not remain silent. God speaks. God speaks his son into the world. He comes to be the judged judge in our place. He takes, as I've said, each, every one of our sins, all the ones you've already done, the ones you did today, and ones you haven't even thought up yet, he's going to nail them to the cross. God refuses to evaluate us by our mistakes. We are more than our sins. God reminds us today. Today on Ash Wednesday, that we are dust and to dust we shall return. That our Lord is in the business of raising the dead, which means the dust isn't the end. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. sort of inexplicable interaction with the man at my dermatologist office yesterday, I then got called to go see the dermatologist, And it was one of these strange moments where, you know, you go in and you talk and you meet with the nurse and the nurse tells you very, very kindly as if this isn't a strange thing. Now, we need you to take off all your clothes but only leave on your underwear. I said, okay. So I did what I was told and 15 minutes later, I heard knock on the door and someone said, Reverend Mertens, and I was terrified that it was one of you. And then I thought about it, and I realized that you have to fill out information about who your employer is, and I was like, oh, okay. So I turned around, and she says, oh, you're a United Methodist pastor. Do you happen to be a United Methodist pastor just down the road? The United Methodist Church? And the whole thing I could think of, she has seen me in nothing but my underwear. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, it's... Dermatologist, you've got to talk about moles and skin and all this sort of stuff. And and she was heavy on the death language. Now you don't want to have these kind of bowls because they can kill you. (laughs) You would be great for Ash Wednesday, let (laughs) me tell you. And we talked and we talked and we talked at the very end. You know, after she said, Oh, you're okay, don't worry about anything. She said, You know what? I hope you have a really happy Lent. I thought that is one of the strangest things I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) There is nothing about Lent that is very happy. We start off by acknowledging that we're dust and we're going to return to dust. Each and every week in the scriptures we're going to have during Lent. They're all about how bad we are. It's not a happy time. And we, I just couldn't shake this. I felt like I needed to correct her theology before I left. But then I thought about it and I thought maybe, maybe she's actually right. I mean, Lent can be a really tough time. Don't get me wrong. It's not fun for me to take the ashes and put on people's foreheads. Just about every year I've done this, I've had to bury someone I've done it to before we had the next Ash Wednesday. Because that's just how life works, it ends. Putting ashes on children's head and telling them they're going to return to dust is a frightening thing. I don't like doing it. But I think my dermatologist was kind of right. Cuz we know how the story ends. We know that Easter is coming. We know that no matter how bad we are, the tomb is still empty. And if we can't be happy about that, then I don't know what we can be happy about. Now, that doesn't mean in a moment when you come down the aisle that you all have to have big smiles on your faces as I remind you you're going to die. I'm not saying that, but I, I do want us to keep perspective. It's important for us to remember our own finitude, but that finitude isn't the end of the story. So would you all please pray with me? Lord, your love exceeds our own. Again and again and again. You do for us that which we could not, nor would we do for ourselves. You send your Son into the world. He became sin who knew no sin, took each and every one of ours and nailed it to the cross. Your unconditional love, O Lord, is difficult for us to grasp. Because we put conditions on our love all the time. You have to do this You have to be like this. We always want people to earn our love, and you say, there's nothing you have to do to earn mine. So as we prepare to come forward, our Lord, to be reminded of who we really are and whose we are, we pray for the strength to know the truth that we are sinners. But more importantly, that we are sinners in the hands of you. And that you were love. So I pray, Lord, over these ashes and for those who wear them tonight, that they might be a reminder to us that death isn't the end, that you have defeated it, and that we can be free from it and even free from our sins because we are more than our mistakes. And all God's people say.